Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Usually we have a reading of a scripture before we try to then teach on that scripture. This morning, uh, because we're in the book of Proverbs, uh, we're going to do a bit differently. Uh, you can turn, if you'd like, to the book of Proverbs. Uh, if you're using the book in the pew, uh, it starts the book uh, on page 527. The first nine chapters of Proverbs have, more, have longer sections dealing with themes, but when you hit chapter 10... They, they tend to be individual proverbs, bunched up together next to one another, not necessarily related to one another, but just uh, proverb after proverb. And so as we're continuing our uh, study on the tongue, Proverbs is an amazingly rich place to talk about uh, the problems with the tongue. Um, it's a place to avoid if you don't want to hear about <laughs> problems of the tongue. I've had many people tell me how invigorating and comforting this series has been on the tongue. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> um, I, I feel the heat myself, believe me. So I thought that it would be better to pull together some of the themes of, uh, that, that are spoken of in regard to the tongue. And, and that would be better by handing you out uh, this study sheet that groups them a little better than rather than we're thumbing through Proverbs. Plus, it's kind of hard to see the relationship uh, that I'd like for you to see in some of these things. So uh, that's why the format that we have. And this obviously is uh, entitled The Shady Tongue. I was going to include anger, but this material just got so big that we'll have a separate thing on the fiery tongue uh, for anger. Uh, next week, by the way, and I appreciate your prayers about this, I'll be... Speaking on the uh, compassionate and courageous tongue, uh, speak out for the helpless. And, of course, this applies in so many ways in our society, but particularly uh, we'll be dealing with the unborn. I uh, just was a part of the march in Dallas yesterday to see two or 3,000 people. It was a very encouraging lay a wreath before the federal building, on which the, the eighth floor of which was where Roe v. Wade began in 1973. Um, and we need to refresh ourselves in that capability of our tongues, so to speak, to speak out for those who are helpless. And, of course, it doesn't only apply to that area, but many areas of justice and righteousness in that regard. Now, we, so far, we've spent a couple of weeks on this topic of the tongue. We've seen in the first week how the tongue reflects what is in the heart this is scary because you like to think, well, I just said this. I didn't mean that. And then you realize that this is me. This is me coming out. Nothing less, nothing. This is what I am as I say these things. But it's encouraging because 
salvation is about a change of heart. The whole emphasis in Scripture is that He puts a new heart within us. He puts His Spirit within. He changes us from the inside out. So, no problem in regard to redemption and salvation. And that's why Jesus can say, you'll be justified or condemned by your words, because they will truly show the nature of the person. They'll truly show whether I've trusted in Christ or not. The words will tell the tale, so to speak. So our words are not unimportant. They're critical because they show what we are. They even declare our destiny in a way. And then we saw from James just how dangerous and deadly the tongue can be. How it is the critically, uh, the, the, the one instrument that's the most difficult to manage. Uh, it is the one that Paul touches on in, in Romans 3 when he's talking about man's sin. He goes immediately to the sin of the tongue. Just look how we speak to one another if you need further proof of the sinfulness of man. And we saw Isaiah's immediate response to seeing the holiness of God. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Uh, the, the thing that struck him was the sinfulness of his words and the sinfulness of other people's words. And so this truly gets to the heart of what we are and the, the sinfulness that we have. But it's so glorious that God knows who we are and he redeems us fully and richly so that we really will be changed. So that these tongues that are so dangerous and deadly will become fountains of life. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, nuclear energy can create such devastation, but it can do such amazing things as well. I uh, worked in a, a drilling firm for a while in uh, one summer, and one of my thrills, of course, as a whole man, was when I drilled all the way down and brought us down to bedrock, and now it was time to drill the dynamite holes, you know, <laughs> so go over to the safe and open the safe and bring the nitroglycerin in my hands and it was a little daunting, you know, to think I've got something that would blow me to smithereens that, that's right there in my hands. And then you put it in certain holes and you blow it in pieces so that the rock's blown up. Then you blow out the air and still I would get a headache each time when I go down there to get the rock out. All of that power oriented to something positive. And just as I drove home to see my mom, there was the Civic Center in Birmingham on the left I helped build that thing, you know. <laughs> but then we know what that can do in, in terms of destruction. Proverbs 18:21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life in the power of the tongue. But because it's so powerful, it must be handled carefully. It can do great things, but it must not run loose. It must not run on its own. Because it is such a powerful thing. So, what does Proverbs have to say? Well, a lot in the area of gossip and slander. That will be our subject. And so, we'll dive right in here. Number one here, you'll see that gossip and slander reveal our hatred. That's a happy thought, right? Gossip and slander reveal our hatred. Let's read these passages. And I've just pulled them out because they have such a close relationship Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. 
11.13. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a matter covered. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And then 16.27. A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Now, right off the bat, you'll notice that the issue is not whether it's what you're saying is true or not. We justify a lot of what we say. Now, what I'm telling you is exactly the truth, a promise. That's not the issue here. Like, if it was a lie about the person, then you shouldn't say it. But since it's the truth about the person, you have full freedom to tell others about it. That's not the issue here. You'll notice, keep it covered or you reveal it. That's the issue. And the idea is a blanket. And you happen to have looked under the blanket. You were given opportunity, maybe by accident, maybe because this person shared it with you, maybe because you happen to be in proximity, whatever. You've got knowledge that other people don't have. And, and these passages say, love keeps the cover on it. It keeps the cover. It doesn't call somebody over and say, just let you see, revealing secrets, as it says. Even though it's true, that's not the matter. It's the matter of revealing something that you had no business talking about. And notice in the box, the contrast. It's between covering an offense or keeping a matter covered, that's the way it puts it, or repeating a matter or revealing secrets. Those are the con. The, the, the contrast, and then motives and results are contrasted in the bottom part of the box. Either you're seeking love and you're trustworthy, or you're motivated by hatred, you plot evil, you promote strife and slander, it's a scorching fire, you separate close friends. Quite a contrast. All because you're repeating a matter. Now, I think trustworthy is a good word here, isn't it? Because this indicates someone you can trust when they know something about you. You can trust them with information. You can trust them to uphold and protect you when you're not around. They will not use information to hurt you or to promote themselves at your expense. They'll not step on you to make themselves taller, so to speak. They will love you at all times. They'll be faithful with your reputation, with your relationships to other people. They will shelter you and uphold you before others. That's a trustworthy person. And notice what's the other side is called a worthless man. What a contrast. The worthless friend. Worthless as a friend. Worthless as a protector even though he or she may pose as one, not trustworthy, but worthless. And 10.12 does give the contrast, doesn't it? The third passage up there. Hatred does one thing, love another. <laughs> love covers, hatred exposes. And of course, again, this shows the mouth is speaking out of that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks and shows and reveals what's going on in our heart. 
And we don't usually think of gossip and slander as plotting evil, but the last passage really says that. It plots evil. And here's how, kind of how it works, that we plan the evil of hurting person A's reputation because we want to be special to person B. We like the excitement and attention of being the one in the know. We like forming an alliance against someone. We like the sense of superiority and advantage that it gives us. It's a fellowship of rejection. A fellowship of rejection. And the scorching fire that the, uh, the proverb includes here indicates its destruction and its spread. We certainly see how much it is hatred here. And of course, as with all sin, this lack of love is rooted in our own fear and unbelief and idolatry. There's always a connection between our relationship to God and the way we treat one another. And so we have an idolatry. We're making a thrill of revealing the secret. This becomes our little private God. We give allegiance to it and and we follow it no matter who may hurt it. It's, It's that thrill of being in the know. It becomes our God. Or our fear of not being thought important. That controls us. And out of this fear and idolatry, we will judge somebody's motive quickly, construing them in the worst way in order to feed our own insecurity, our self-pity, our pride. And it shows a lack of our trust in God to obey Him and walk in love and let Him take care of relationships and not try to jockey for position by hurting other people. You see the unbelief and the fear, the lack of trust in God that occurs when we try to manipulate things like that. And by the way, that's just the way we need to think. My sin is somehow rooted in my fear, my unbelief, my idolatry. If I connect the dots, I'll see it. Well, gossip and slander then reveals our hatred, reveals our heart. Secondly, gossip and slander reveal our deceit and our emptiness. Our deceit and our emptiness. Notice these passages. And it's kind of interesting because it says in 1628, A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. There's that idea of separating close friends. 1018, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. And of course, to remain silent is to keep a thing covered. It's the same thing as we said before. But notice in this, these passages, this one conceals hatred. You conceal hatred to the person that you smile at, but behind their back, we have that word, backbiting. I don't bite you to your face. Or we're talking about someone and suddenly, oh, coming in. You know, that kind of, why? Because we want the comfort of biting them behind their back, not biting them in as they're standing there. But there's that word hatred again. Concealed hatred. And it amounts to then lying lips. That what we are saying to our friend that we're betraying is all a sham. It's all a lie. 
We really don't mean any of that. It's just a guise for how we're setting them up behind their back. And so, isn't it interesting that thousands of years ago, people could know what people are like in this way? That we, that, that people were aware under the guidance of God. And, and many of these proverbs come from the common culture and, and, the, and it shows a common grace among people that we recognize the, the problems, the, the, the uh, deceptions that, that people have. We'll see toward the end that Proverbs uh, gives us a solution to it that none of the other uh, collections do. So uh, this person then who is doing all of these things is one who lacks sense, who is called a fool, a moral fool, to do this kind of things to people, to ruin the community as he or she is doing. Which brings us then to point three, that gossip and slander destroy relationships. Now, some of these verses we've already seen, but we want to emphasize this part of them. In verses in 17, 9, you separate close friends. Ten, twelve. you stir up strife. The scorching fire of 1827. And then to add to it, look at 18.8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So what it does, in effect, is divides friends. It pulls them apart. It ruins relationships. It's a tacit way to torpedo a relationship while looking good yourself. It erects barriers that were not there. It's cutting people off from the nurture, care, and comfort of another person. Is what Proverbs is saying to us. It separates close friends. So, in no way does it promote unity and love, but strife and separation and alienation. And this is one of the reasons why when we talk about promoting the purity and peace of the church uh, in our new members class, many times we talk about this issue of gossip, this very issue uh, of slander. So, here's an example. A woman named Mary is distracted about a personal problem with her husband. Maybe it's her mother, it's her children, or it's finances. And suddenly, another lady, Joan, who just met Mary the week before, is thinking, Wow, I try to say hi and be friendly, and I get snubbed. So, she's groveling about that. And her own insecurities, you know, like, everybody, I I try to make friends, but what good does it do? Here's another church, and I'm going to be hurt here too, whatever. She thinks that Mary doesn't want to be her friend. And a few weeks later, Susan is asking about getting involved in the church, and Mary drops the bomb, and she says, Well, just a word to the wise, I would steer clear of Mary. Oh, yeah, I think she's dealing with some personal stuff, but I just need to avoid people who could hurt me. Oh, okay, well, thanks. And so, 18.8 kicks in. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. You know, something tastes so good, you swallow it and you just feel like, ah, I've got that one. And it, it likens, it's terrible because it likens hearing something 
and, and it almost being sweet to the hearer as well. You like to get stuff on people. You like to be in the know. You, you just as much are sharing this desire to form the alliance. But then the other idea is that it goes into the inner parts. It, it's very hard to get it out once it's there. Once you hear that thing. This is why I was talking about in one of our past sessions that it's amazing how somebody could spread something about a pastor that's totally untrue. But everybody would have it in their heads. And it would be hard for them ever again to look at him without thinking that thing as he speaks. Because of that slander. It's how dangerous, how deadly, how devastating it can be. And so these words stick and they fester and they poison. They spread like a virus. This scorching fire that is talked about in these passages, it becomes something that just smolders against the person who is slandered. And you think, what if Joan instead had invited Mary and her two little ones over to her house to play with her kids? What if she became the very ear and heart that Mary needed to help gain perspective and resources to handle what was otherwise a crippling situation? So Mary's not isolated further by her action, but she is drawn in and ministered to. Think of the difference in those two pathways. It's the difference between heaven and hell, really. It's the difference between a church that dwells in unity and peace and one that doesn't. And so part of, of course, creating... uh, this is, this is a vital part of, of creating a protected environment in our community as a church so that there will be no feeding frenzies here. You know, a shark, they're all eating something and suddenly a shark gets a nick. He starts bleeding and you know what happens. He becomes the meal. And isn't it sad in any kind of social situation that somebody can go wounded and then people start feeding on them, hurting them? isolating themselves when the person needs more than ever people to listen to him or her, to help him or her. But we tend to be just like those sharks. And woe be to the people who would name themselves Christians that would do this as a way of life, right? Um, By God's grace, let us never be that. Um. Fourthly, each of us has, can take responsibility in ending gossip and slander. Each of us can take responsibility in ending gossip and slander. Notice these passages. <laughs> this is quite picturesque. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. There you go. How do you put out the fire? You don't listen to it to start with. You suggest that this person maybe needs to go to talk to him or her. But if you do hear it, you don't repeat it. You say, the fire stops here. Right? It will go no further. And if I can go back and help put out the fire where it's been, I will do that. I will be a peacemaker in this place. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And sometimes just stopping it is one of the greatest things that can happen. But notice what 
the writer says here, an evil doer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. The person who listens is an evildoer and a liar. And so we become an accomplice and we join in the lie. We participate. Evil is not, this, this kind of evil is not possible without an ear. Okay? It's just not possible unless there's somebody to hear. It is an evil shared between two people. And so in 2019, and I've given some other versions of that, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. There it is. Telling things that others don't know, but he's just revealing it. Therefore, do not associate with the simple babbler. Now, that's the person that should be isolated, you see. Uh, now, associate doesn't mean that you can't go and deal with this person, talk with this person, try to help this person change and grow. But it means association in terms of I go along with, I join with, I participate in. I will not be an associate. And these other versions, who, who, whoever goes about as a slander reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. Or I like the way NIV puts it, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. And the emphatic command in chapter 25, verse 9, do not reveal another's secret. So, for lack of wood, the fire goes out where there is no whisper of quarreling ceases. The responsibility is put upon us, isn't it? It, it must not be received. We must not do it. And on the other hand, we must not receive it. It must stop right there. And we, if this person persists, we must deal uh, in, in that way. And then lastly, just to uh, give a note of wisdom and balance, if, if uh, that's a good word, not all revealing is gossip and slander. We could become ridiculous in our... Uh, thought of not revealing, and, and we, ha- we have to bear in mind many different situations in Scripture. Number one is found right there in your uh, notes, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Now, it begins privately. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Notice, if your brother sins against you, it doesn't say, go and talk to somebody, go and pray about it with others, etc. You tell him his fault, notice, between you and him alone. It's emphasized. And brothers and sisters, this is the most difficult thing to do. It is so much easier to go and talk to somebody else, isn't it? So much easier than... The courage and grace and compassion and the risk in terms of a relationship to go to the very person that wronged you and said, look, I may be wrong myself. I may have misunderstood what you said or did, but I was hurt when this and this, and and I need to talk to you about it. Oh, that's the hardest thing in the world. But it's so easy to tell somebody else, you know, Mary said so-and-so and it really hurt me. That was easy. This is hard. This is destructive. This is life. And this is what Christ commands us to do. But notice, if he does not listen, if it's, it's a sin that persists, uh, he continues in it, she continues in it, it's having a widening destructive effect, 
If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established. And then eventually, if this continues, tell it to the church. And many think this refers in the first place to the uh, leadership of the church. But you see how the in this particular uh, item, there's a widening circle, even though at the beginning the effort is made to be private. So we'd have to say this is a caveat or this is a, a circumstance in which it's not absolutely true. You never reveal anything. Uh, but notice in Proverbs 25, the emphasis on trying to keep things private. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? If you hastily run to court, maybe you don't understand the situation. You bring a suit against a person, and then you find out more and more information, and you're the one that's put to shame. That's one aspect of it. But notice, argue your case with your neighbor himself. Do not reveal another secret. If you can keep from doing it, settle it with this person and don't reveal either his or other people connected to it their secrets. Even in a, in a difficult circumstance, you try to keep things private. You see that, that, that desire on the part of Proverbs to stress the importance of guarding one another's secrets in that way. Um, now, it means, of course, in uh, other areas... Like if you're struggling in a relationship, if you're in an abusive relationship, you will likely need help in confronting this person or getting protection from this person. In other cases, a relationship is developing major cracks and you feel like you both need counsel and wisdom. Well, of course you have to share in cases like that. Um, but that's a different thing than a, a man railing about his wife just in casual circumstances with people just telling him what his wife does rather than going to a counselor in a guarded situation to try to deal with it in the most private way possible. Those are two different worlds. And I, I think we kind of viscerally feel the difference in those two things. And I've had people come to me and talk about a problem they have with someone. They never told me who it was. They say, look, I'm dealing with someone. I don't want to say who it is. And I never knew who it was from the beginning to the end. But they really got help and the thing was solved. So there was that effort on this person to get help and yet try to keep the person's reputation. So I never knew who it was that had wronged them, but I knew that they had worked it out. And that guarded me from ever knowing that. That was a good thing, you see. An effort to guard one another's reputation. And, of course, it doesn't mean that we can't reveal a matter in order to protect someone from a, a, a dangerous person, uh, Issues like that, I think we can see, are, are, are very different. And, in fact, in certain family, work, even church situations, there may be certain people that we're ministering to that are difficult, and we have to form a kind of alliance to nurture them, to help them, to share some stories at least to try to know how to help this person. Those kind of things, of course, will occur when people are truly trying to love one another and, and struggle together to help other people. But the principle always is love. Even then, of course, we can fake a motive. We can fake the motive of love. I just want to pray for Mary. You know, that's proverbial that we're going to share it in prayer. That, that, that means, of course, that we love the person. And we can just use that as a, a cover for, for gossip. 
But the thing I want to point out uh, as we close is the thing that sets Proverbs apart because it's speaking of the way you should treat one another, the way to have success in life, the way to treat people with honor and respect and love and how relationships can be destroyed. It begins in the Proverbs chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, your relationship to Yahweh is the key to every area of your life. (laughs) That's the centerpiece. How are you related to God Himself? What's that relationship? Do you trust Him? Do you rest in Him? Do you follow Him? Do you uh, submit to Him? Do you love Him and adore Him? Do you worship Him? That is the issue. That's the beginning of all. It says a man of understanding keeps a secret. A man of understanding keeps a thing covered. Well, understanding comes because we have the fear of God. We have a new relationship with Yahweh. In fact, in chapter 16, 6, it says, By the fear of Yahweh, one turns away from evil. How will you truly turn away from evil? Because of the vitality of your relationship to the God of this world. It's going to be that relationship that transforms you inside out. Not just hearing some principles and obeying those principles. Hearing the right thing to do and seeing the wrong thing to do and and I'm going to be different now. No. The beginning of a true heart desire to do good to people with all that you have is to be rightly related to Yahweh. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord that's at the root of wisdom and righteousness. And isn't it glorious that in the new covenant we are declared, I will put my fear in your heart. Wow. I will put a whole new regard for me in your heart. A whole new worship and admiration and trust in me. I will put that in your heart. I will vitally, completely transform your relationship to me. And it will be one in which you are forgiven of your sins, he says in the new covenant. In which all of your sins are taken away. It will be one in which I put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my commandments. It will be a whole new relationship, a whole new life for you. You walk in forgiveness and obedience. And it's sweet to know that the word Yahweh in the Old Testament was translated into the Greek in that version when they wrote that before the time of Christ. They, they translated the Hebrew into Greek called the Septuagint, okay, the 70 books. And so that, when they translated Yahweh, known as Jehovah, you know, historically, but it's probably pronounced Yahweh. They translated it Kurios. And in the New Testament, it's not God the Father that gets the name Kurios. He's called God. It's Jesus that gets the name Kurios, Yahweh. It is as we are rightly related to the Lord Jesus Christ that we will be transformed, that we will be forgiven, that we will be renewed so that we can walk in love in one another, so that we can have a community here that is safe and glorious, a testimony to this world that's out to kill and bite and tear each other up, that we have a place of glory. I love the analogy that we read in uh, Isaiah when it's speaking of the coming people of God, and it takes the picture 
of Israel in the wilderness. And it says, there will be a canopy over the people of God. There will be a cloud by day and a fire by night. And I like to think of that. It's spiritual. It's unseen. But I like to think of this glorious fire by night and a a cloud of glory by day. And we are in the glory. (laughs) And it's a glory, as Paul points out in 2 Corinthians, it's a glory of love. We reflect the very glory of God in our relationships. And we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Praise be His name that we get to be a part of the people of God and form a place of shalom, of wholeness. Will you pray with me the prayer that's found right there at the end of that back back page? And after we pray this prayer, we will sing uh, the closing hymn, 565, All for Jesus, hymn 565. But will you pray this with me? Lord, you have fundamentally set me free from bondage to sin and self. I am alive to a new life of love. Therefore, Lord, root out hatred in my heart. You must... You, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reading an old version that I have. I'm sorry. You have promised. You must... You will. You have said that sin cannot, will not have dominion over me. I confess remaining hatred in my heart. I confess that I do not rejoice in my neighbor's good. I confess my fear and unbelief and idolatry that would tear down someone I know. I confess my dishonesty and deception. Through your work on the cross, Lord, forgive all my sin. Thank you that you make me clean in your sight. And by your death and resurrection, remove this sin from me. Enable me to refuse it and turn from it. Enable me to entrust myself to you. Enable me in Christ to walk in new life for your glory and honor. Let us stand and sing hymn 565. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?